Amen. Awesome. Y'all can grab a seat. Man, is that not an incredible song? Man, what a picture. Are y'all with me? Is that an incredible song? Y'all awake? What a picture of God doing whatever it takes to pursue you with his love. Man, I love that. Hey, I just want to say for the record, I have missed y'all so much. Like legit, I'm glad to be back and see your awesome faces. Lauren was going to hopefully like come for a few minutes tonight and hang out with y'all. But uh, the twins had some other plans, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that's all good. And I actually, uh, though man, I know that Richard and Pastor David and Casey did an amazing job. I was only, the plan was for me to just miss uh, two Thursdays. But the Lord and his providence, and, and uh, since babies don't really care what I think, um, had some different, different plans. And I kind of want to walk you through a little bit of, of kind of what, what went on. So um, February 14th, Valentine's Day, um, Lauren and I, she wasn't feeling real good. And so I, was, I stayed home with her and was going to go to the doctor with her just for kind of a routine checkup. But she was going to ask some questions. And so we walk in, uh, go back, and the nurse looks at the swelling in Lauren's legs and says, you're going to the hospital today. And I'm like, Psh, she don't know what she's talking about. And sure enough, about five minutes later, the doctor came in and said, yep, you're going to the hospital today. And so went to the hospital that day and then um, they stayed there Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, Dr. Devine came in and said, all right, so today is, which was kind of cool. Our doctor's name really was Dr. Devine. How awesome is that, right? And so... Um, and by the way, just a little props. I'm not like trying to give the hospital bias, but the folks at UMC are amazing. If you're one day want to be a physician or whatever, man, they were incredible. And so anyways, um, had the babies on Friday. I'll spare you all those details. But anyways, had the babies on Friday. And if I can be honest, it's exciting. It really was like, it was awesome for sure. But pretty quick, I don't want to like be dramatic, but pretty quick, I, my heart got really, really heavy. And I'll kind of explain why. Uh, and part of it may have just been because this was new to me. Um, but though, first, I should let you know, everybody's good now. Everybody's happy and healthy. And the kiddos are gaining weight. And Haddon is a whopping six pounds. And uh, Carolina Tate is four pounds, 11 ounces. She's so tiny. Um, anyways, so from Haddon, when he, he came out first, and uh, pretty quickly they took him to the NICU. It wasn't like anything crazy, but they were just kind of worried about some of his breathing. Um, and I've actually, ha- uh, uh, you're not Haddon, you're Ryland. Ryland, if you put up that picture of, um, actually, I'm sorry. Go to, yeah, that's okay. That's Carolina Tate. Um, and that's, this is how little she is. That's my like pointer finger that she's holding on to, to give you a little idea of how, how small she was or kind of still is. Um, so she initially was doing pretty good, but then that's Haddon. I'll, I'll talk about him in a second. Um, but her, they were worried about her blood sugars for a while. They were kind of in, like every hour checking them. And Haddon, this is him in the NICU. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm not a crier, but every time I went to the NICU, man, it was not good. Like it, was, it was heavy on my heart. Um, a senior kiddo like that is, is no, no fun. Um, actually, it had an IV in his hand for a little bit, but uh, he kept like knocking it out. And so they eventually put it in his head, which was, yeah, that was not fun to see. Um, so to, uh, hold on just for a second, Rylan. Um, but then Lauren, which again, she's great now, but she had what they call, I think it's called help syndrome. And it's where your liver gets all out of whack and her blood platelets were really, really low, about half of what they should be. Um, and then her blood pressure was really, really high. And so me who I'm normally very easygoing and like chill about stuff. It was not good. Like I was, I was pretty emotional. 
um, and kind of freaking out a little bit, actually. And uh, I remember every time I would go to the NICU, uh, when I would come back to where Lauren was, I was like, man, if I see one of my friends or somebody from church, I think I'm just going to like have a meltdown right here. <laughs> like, it was just one of those times. Um, so had him on Friday, which again, looking back, like this was really not that traumatic, but in the moment it seemed pretty intense. And so I had him on Friday, and then uh, as dark and like, almost as kind of hopeless as I felt and didn't even know how to pray, the cool thing was on Monday morning, um, Dr. Devine came in and told Lauren, hey, like, you're not out of the woods yet, but you're, you're looking a lot better. Your numbers are doing good. Your blood pressure is better. Like, your swelling is way better. Things are moving in the right direction. So automatically I felt like, okay, there's some hope here. There's, there's some light. And then about an hour after that, um, one of the NICU nurses came up, which, man, they were phenomenal, and said, hey, good news. Just want you to know you need to make a little more room uh, in your hospital room because your boy is coming up here. I'm like, yes. And uh, I think you all saw this picture maybe. But, Rylan, let's put up the next picture. Um, this is, that's Carolina Tate on the left and Haddon on the right. This was their first time being together after, after we had them. And I can't tell you, like, Again, I'm not an emotional kind of guy, but it was pretty emotional, like, seeing them together. And it was, it was funny because I had been real heavy. And, like, you know, I'm, if you know me, I like to laugh a lot and cut up. I've been pretty serious. But, man, once they were together, it, it was kind of the whole, like, proud dad moment. Man, I, it was awesome. And what's cool, just a little side note, they're, they're still like this today. I can show you. I have, like, way too many pictures. I can show you later. Um, but if you put them, like, on this picture, we did not pose this. We put them just in the bassinet. And they were kind of, like, I don't know several inches a foot apart. And I'm talking within minutes, they were like this. And they'll still do this at the house. Like every time we put them to bed, we put them on opposite ends. The other morning I woke up and they were holding hands. Like it's it's super, super cool. Okay. Can't wait for y'all to meet them. Um, So even though that was kind of a tough story, and again, the grand scheme of life, like it's all good. It wasn't that traumatic. But even though it was kind of a tough story, it's actually a really like beautiful story to me. And here's why. All good stories at some point have hopelessness, have darkness, and all good stories, the best stories that we love, in that hopelessness, it's suddenly interrupted by what? Hope. (laughs) In that darkness, it's suddenly interrupted by light. And that's, that's what Tuesday, what did I say? Monday, sorry. Monday morning was for us when Haddon came in the room and when like got the report on Lauren. My hopelessness, my darkness was suddenly interrupted by hope, by light. Those are the best kinds of stories. Like that's the movies that you like, the books that you like to read. You, we, all of us, human beings across the earth, we gravitate towards stories where hope, where light breaks in. Now, we've been going through Romans. You can take that down, Ryan. Thanks, buddy. Um, we've been going through Romans, and our kind of subtitle for this series is The Story of God and us. So go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3 if you've got your Bible. And let me ask a question. You can feel free to shout out. Um, as we've been going through Romans 1 through 3, we've, we've seen that we are under the what? Yeah, the wrath of God. Man, you guys, that's like three weeks ago. I'm impressed. Yeah, you guys remember. We're under the wrath of God. We're under, we all of us face the judgment of God. Now, do you remember why do we, is it just because God's in a bad mood? Because we suck. Okay, yeah, that, that works. Could you be a little more specific? Because we are... We're sinners, yeah. It's not just that we do sinful things. We, you and me, we are sinners. 
Paul says that in uh, chapter 1, he lays out that we're idolaters, meaning we love other things rather than loving God. We pursue things rather than pursue God. So we're under the wrath of God, the judgment, the punishment, the fury of God. That's what we face. It's rather hopeless and dark. If you, if you go to the Old Testament, you don't have to turn there, but if you go to the Old Testament, look at the book of Hosea. God's actually talking about his people and to, and to describe the relationship he has with his people and how they treat him. God says to his people, in our relationship, people, you act like whores. I'm not trying to be dramatic. Like that's, what, like that's what it says. Like You act like prostitutes, whoring after other gods. So that's to what you maybe consider the best of the best. God says to those people, hey, you're kind of like a slut. Like that's, that's what you are. Rather than loving me first, you chase after every other thing. So here's the question. If we are considered whores who don't pursue God but pursue every other thing, we're sinners, we're idolaters, how can there be any, be any hope for us? How can there be any light inserted into our story? I love this passage, and you're probably going to be pretty familiar with it. I love this passage because in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, as we're going to be in just a second, this is where our story shifts. So just like my Monday morning where got the good report and hadn't came in, and my story went from hopeless to hope, from darkness to light, it shifted. There was a hinge there. The story of God and us shifts, it hinges on this passage. And hear me real clear. If you're a Christian, your life has changed. It has shifted based on the truth found or truths found in these verses. And if you're not a Christian, your life tonight could shift, could change, could go from hopeless to hope, from darkness to light based on the truth in this passage. Is this a rather important passage? To use a word from Brittany Walsh. Heck yes it is, okay? This is huge. This is where light breaks in to our story. Check it out with me. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this is beautiful. The only hope, the hope for being in a right relationship with God, for having light break into your story, for having hope break into your story. The only hope for that is placing all your hope in who? You, you can get loud. Don't be scared. In who? Yeah. Placing your hope in Jesus Placing everything I have in him. I love this. It says, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So he's saying, a way to be in right relationship with God has been shown apart from the law. Because if you go back in Romans, he says, no one can be good enough for God. No matter how religious you are, no matter how moral you are, no matter what your race is, no matter who you are, what you've done, what you plan to do, no one can be good enough for God. So he says, so that's really, really crappy news. But he says the good news is there's been a way shown to receive the righteousness of God apart from the law. Now, we, 
As we go through this passage, there are several, just to be honest, there are several pretty big theological words. And I think if you've come here a lot, you know me. I'm not into trying to, like, let's define every word and let me impress you with the Greek and Hebrew. That's not my goal. Um, But there's some words in this passage that I really believe as Christians, like, we have to know. Now, there's not going to be a quiz or anything afterwards. I guess we could, Kiwan, you want to do a quiz later? Um, (laughs) Pray about it. Um, (laughs) So, though we're not going to get carried away with these words, there's some terms that I really want you to know. Before I give you the definition, or like kind of a a working, memorable definition, um, let me tell you what Augustine said about the righteousness of God. He does not speak of the righteousness of God by which God is righteous, but of that with which he clothes a person in his righteousness. So, you track with me? so when it says righteousness of God, it's not say, talking about that God is righteous, though he is. He's talking about the righteousness of God that is where God clothes someone in his righteousness, gives him his righteousness. So the idea is we can quit trying to impress God with a resume of our righteousness. God, look at all the good things I've done. And by golly, look at all the things I haven't done. I don't drink, smoke, or go with girls who do. You know what I'm saying? Like, like look, at, look at my resume. Saying, he said, God, the Bible is saying, we can quit trying to give God our resume and impress him. And God, please accept me. Because why? Because God has what? Given us his righteousness. Meaning, God credits us, gives us his righteousness. So, we can put this on the screen. I would encourage you to write this down or like put it in your phone or something. Because we're going to see this through the book of Romans. So, a, a basic understanding definition of the righteousness of God is that God gives me his perfect record. Y'all, is that amazing? Oh my gosh! Yes, it is! All of us are so messed up and sinful and in the gospel the righteousness of righteousness of god is revealed in that so as sinful and messed up as i am regardless of that god says hey if you'll put your faith in me i want to credit you i want to give you my perfect record meaning i'll look at you as though you lived the life that jesus lived that's good news that's incredible news look at Keep reading. It says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So again, we're going to kind of unpack this more in a second. So how do we receive the righteousness of God? It's through what? Through faith. And who's it for? All who believe. So there's no, this is not like for the elite or the really spiritual. It doesn't matter what your story is, how far you are from God. You turn to Jesus and you can receive the righteous, righteousness of God. That is scandalous. I love that song we sing, The Scandal of Grace. That is scandalous. Like that, that almost seems messed up. That regardless of how messed up I am, if I will turn to Jesus, God is willing to give me, to credit me with his perfect record, with his righteousness. And if you're like, well, hmm, how, how, how does that work? How could, how could God just justify, just Give anyone, no matter how messed up they are, his righteousness. Good question. Paul's going to give us an answer. And he kind of unpacks it. Halfway through verse 22. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's saying all of us, every single one of us, like we've been already seeing all the Romans, are messed up. All of us are sinners. Man, I, again, I don't know where there's merit. 
I just want to, that was amazing, by the way. Incredible job sharing your testimony. Um, but I, I love what you said. Like, none of us should be surprised, like, oh, wow, like, why is she talking about that? All of us have our issues, right? Like, well, sorry, I'm self-filtering. Uh, I was thought of something that another guy said to describe that, but it's probably not appropriate from the stage. Anyways, um, let's say this. We all have our crap. I keep saying that word. That's my word tonight, I guess. We all have our crap, right? Like, and Hatton and Carolina Tate have a lot of it right now. It's <laughs> good. We all have our issues. Hey, so just to be real, like maybe your issue is not what Meredith used to struggle with. Though like probably for a lot of us it is. Um, maybe your issue is not that, but you have an issue. You with me? Like no one gets to here and be like, man, I'm better than her. No, you're not. <laughs> the Bible says all of us have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. So what God's standard is, none of us measure up. We all fall short. We don't reach his standard of perfection, of righteousness. That's who we are. But then Paul says, hey, let me get back to the good news. And, verse 24, are justified by his grace as a, what? As a gift. We're justified by his grace as a gift. So first of all, we're all sinners, but those who turn to Christ can be justified by his grace as a gift. Justified is another big word. Uh, I don't know why I keep calling you Haddon. I'm so sorry, Rylan. <laughs> Rylan, will you put the, the justified definition up there? Justified. God declares me as righteous, innocent, and good. So just... To clarify, this is very, very similar to the righteousness of God idea, right? Very similar words. Justify. God declares me as righteous. I want to point this out. Innocent and good. So it's not just that he pardons and forgives all the bad things I've done. He bestows on me good things that I actually haven't done. Does that make sense? So... Again, it's like not only does Jesus wipe away my sin, he also says, hey, I'm going to give you credit for all the good things that I've done and continue to do. I'm going to give them to you. So justify, we're declared righteous, innocent, and good. That's good news. (laughs) That's the gospel that regardless of how sinful and messed up I am, I can be justified by his grace as a gift. So it's grace. I, I can't, what we just sing? I don't deserve it. I can't earn it, right? I may have said that backwards, but it's grace. It's not deserved. It's a gift. We're like little punk kids, bratty kids, and God as the parent. Though we're little brunk, man, (laughs) punk bratty kids, God says, hey, I've got this amazing gift I'd love to give you. I know you're a tool. (laughs) I don't talk to my kids that way. Not yet. (laughs) But I want to give you this gift. You don't deserve it. But I want to give you this gift. I.H. Marshall, he's a Scottish New Testament scholar. He says about justification... He says, or defines justified as this, being put into a right relationship with God in which the sins that persons have committed are no longer 
counted against them. And consequently, they can enter into a relationship with God characterized by peace and not wrath. That's good news. That's the gospel. That as messed up and sinful and rebellious as I am, God says, I'm not going to count that against you. And actually, rather than receiving my wrath, you can receive my welcome. Rather than receive my fury, you can receive my friendship. Because I'm going to justify you by grace. It's a gift. And again, you say, well, how how can he do that? How can he justify people? And Paul says, great question. Quit interrupting me. (laughs) Verse, the rest of verse 24. They're justified by his grace as a gift through... The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we're justified by grace. We're declared righteous as good and innocent. It's a a gracious gift of God. And how does that happen? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Man, redemption, that is a beautiful word. We're going to put that on the screen. Redemption. Here's a definition for you. Jesus has paid the price to set me free from the penalty And the power of sin. Y'all, through the cross, Jesus sets you free from the penalty and the power of sin. So I don't have to fear the judgment of God because Jesus already took the penalty for me. And more than that, I don't have to today, like, like right now, March 8th, 9.20 p.m., I don't have to experience and suffer under the power, the grip, the control of sin because Jesus has already set me free. He's redeemed me. You know what? I'm not a slave to sin. You know that song, uh, you know where I'm going? No longer a slave. Thank you. (laughs) Not going on much sleep. I'm sorry. (laughs) No longer a slave. I've told David before, I wish we could just like every week or every time we sing it, change out the word I'm no longer safe to fear and just like put a new word in there. Because you know what? If you belong to Jesus, he has freed you from everything. So whatever your issue is, he's freed you from that. Whatever prison cell you're in, Jesus says, well, hey, good news. I got a huge key ring. I got the king, the key, bro. And I'm the king, right? He's got you. Whatever it is you've been imprisoned to and enslaved to, Jesus If you've trusted him through what he did on the cross, he has set you free. So you know what? You no longer have to be a slave to where your eyes want to go. (laughs) You no longer have to be a slave to the thoughts that want to take over your life. Whether it be lust or envy or greed or anger. You no longer have to be a slave to the desires you feel in your gut. Man, I freaking want to kill that dude. Maybe not kill them, but like, I want to hurt them, whatever. <laughs> like a psychopath. Um, <laughs> you're not a slave to those things because Jesus has redeemed you. And if you're not a Christian, you don't have to be a slave to those things because Jesus can redeem you. How does he redeem us? Good question. <laughs> He's going to explain who Jesus is. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation, what the world, by his blood. This is another big word, but it's a great word. One of the best words in the Bible. I'm probably going to 
you know, I, I got Zach Dean here. I, you can feel free to just totally say you're pronouncing that wrong because you're Mr. Greek man over there. Um, I believe in this context, not Kevin, Hilasterion, does that sound right? Sure. <laughs> okay. That's Zach Dean. He's a like Greek scholar for real though. He's awesome. Um, yeah, this word, it, it kind of carries two ideas with it, okay? And I'm going to, I think in this context of Romans, I think the, the um, translation of propitiation is the right word. And I'm going to give you a definition for that in just a second. But it also, this hilasterion also carries the idea of um, expiation, which means the removal of something, okay? So, whom God put forward is a propitiation by his blood. So, meaning, part of what Jesus does is he removes the stain of our sin. But more, maybe, I think more heavily driven in, the, in this context of Romans, propitiation means that Jesus, his sacrifice, his blood is what it says, is the appeasement, the satisfaction for God's wrath. So again, we're all, remember in Rome, we've seen Romans, all of us as sinners are under the wrath of God face, the fury, the wrath of God. Well, the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus appeases that wrath. So here's the definition for propitiation. Jesus' sacrifice has removed God's wrath and the stain of sin from me. Man, that's a really big word or like weird word that you probably haven't heard before. Maybe you have, I don't know, but man, that's a great word (laughs) that Jesus, his sacrifice, what he did for me because of that, I don't have to experience the wrath of God. And I don't have to walk around with the guilt, the shame, the stain of sin. I think it's important. You can hold off on that last one around. I think it's important to realize like though, we're talking about this being a free gift for us, and it absolutely is. Did it cost God something, this gift for us? Absolutely. It cost Jesus everything. So we get to experience the grace, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness, the freedom of God at his expense. He was betrayed, beaten, and bloodied for you and me. So we can have hope break into our story. How do we receive it? What's it say? The end of verse, not the end of verse 25, but halfway through. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to what? Look at your Bible, it's not cheating. What's it say? What's it say? Hey, someone can read. Awesome. (laughs) To be received by faith. So Paul keeps saying, hey, it's faith alone. Again, it's not what you do or or will do or have it done. It's by faith alone. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's from uh, United Kingdom. He says, the man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no, longer, he no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. This next one is huge. He does not look at what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. And he rests on that alone. 
Martin Luther, who I shared this a few weeks ago, he described faith and said, it's a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. So faith, here's another very simple definition for you. Faith is coming to God with empty hands and a heart that trusts Jesus. That's what faith is. It's easy, I think, in like the Bible Belt culture to think, man, I got faith. I got strong faith. (laughs) If your faith is in your faith, then you don't get faith. (laughs) Man, my faith is legit. Like, you don't get it. Biblical faith has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. (laughs) And just as a quick side, I think it's worth saying, because all of us have struggled with this at one point. Putting your faith in your faith, hoping in how much your hope is, <laughs> leads to doubt and to struggle. Here's what I mean. The key for faith is the object. So according to this passage, what is our faith in? Who do we have faith in? Jesus. We're trusting him, right? So Tim Keller uses an example. Um, if I get really sleep deprived with these kiddos and start getting delusional (laughs) and go home tonight and get some PVC pipe and put some feathers on it and come to church on Sunday and say, guys, I'm going to fly to the UK. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting my faith. So I could be very confident. If I come and I'm like, man, I'm going to do it. My, my faith, so to speak, is very confident, right? But is it in a trustworthy thing? No. So even though I'm confident, I'm still in trouble, right? Now, this is not true of me, but let's say it was. Let's say I'm going to go to the UK, and um, I go to Lubbock International Airport, which I'm not sure how we get the international in there, because I think we fly, like, to Dallas. I don't know. <laughs> so... Uh, if I go to the airport and I'm going to make some jumps and some skips to the UK and I get nervous about flying and I like kind of tremble my way onto the airplane, my faith at that point is kind of weak faith, right? But if my faith is in the airplane over my PVC pipe feathers, that's good faith, right? That's like faith is going to get me somewhere. (laughs) So here's, I want you to get your faith, your salvation is not based on how strong your faith is. Your faith, your salvation is based on Jesus. And you know what turns out? He's actually pretty strong. <laughs> faith is coming to God with empty hands and saying, and maybe even saying, like, God, I feel like I'm having a hard time trusting you, but I'm going to trust you, even though I'm scared to death. <laughs> That's what faith is. I, I don't have time to, to go through, like, really dig into these next verses, but basically, just to give you an idea, in verses, the rest of verse 25 through 26, he just says that in the gospel, what's so cool, in the gospel, we see that the judge, God Almighty, takes the judgment. <laughs> so he becomes, it says, he, he is just, and he's the justifier. So it's where grace and wrath collide, the cross. <laughs> that he still... Brings punishment and judgment on sin, 
but he takes it on himself in Jesus. <laughs> so he's just, he's good. A judge who just lets sin go is not a good judge, right? So he's still a good judge, but he also is really loving because he justifies us. And then in verse, verses 27 to 31, basically to sum it up, probably maybe oversimplify it, he just says, so then where is our boasting? So meaning, it's foolish. It's kind of some application almost. It's foolish. It would be ridiculous for us to take pride in our salvation and think we're all that. And man, I'm cool. I'm a Christian. I have a relationship with God. Because your relationship with God has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. Amen? It's based on him. So we're going to kind of wrap up here. But we've got to see something. Go back to verse 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although, he has a little caveat here, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So he's saying like, in the gospel, through what Jesus has done, we see a way to, we finally see a way to, to know God, to come to a relationship with him. But he says, although the law, the prophets, which is, just to again, be simple, the Old Testament, he says, they bear witness to it, meaning they point to it. So God's work through Jesus, salvation by grace through faith, is not a new thing. See, the story of God and us has always been about Jesus. It's always been about faith. Because again, he, from the beginning of time, since before God laid the foundation of the world, Jesus has been the hinge on which our story turns, the hinge on which your story can turn. Because he's the centerpiece. He's where light breaks in. I want us to watch a quick, really quick video to help us get that idea. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. 
There is a true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover land, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. the hero of the story. Well, this is what all of the Bible is about. If you're like, man, what is Christianity about? The, the gospel, the nutshell of the gospel that we talked about tonight, that's what it's all about. Simply, we're all sinners, but all of us, we can have a relationship with God if we put all our hope in Jesus. It's the best news ever. Like we should never get over that. When I was, my wife and I were back in Florida at Thanksgiving and went out to the ocean and didn't get in because it was kind of cold. But I thought God was kind of tapping on the shoulder and reminding me that, hey, because of what I've done for you on the cross, the ocean is like my grace and you just get to dive in and it never runs out. <laughs> What's the old Crowder song? Like, if his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking, right? <laughs> my sins are at the bottom of the ocean. I can't even, they're gone, they're done. All because of Jesus, it's all, it's all grace. Thank God for grace. Turn to Jesus, you find your treasure. Hope in Jesus you're going to find hope rest in Jesus and you'll find redemption put your faith in Jesus you'll find forgiveness all my hope the only hope I have is in Jesus. And it turns out that's a lot of hope. So here's how I want us to respond. Paul just simply has laid out the gospel for us. If you don't know Jesus, your story has not turned on that hinge from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope, from death to life. Tonight's a good night. To realize that God's down here saying, hey, I have a gift for you. You just got to come to me. It's free. You just got to come to me. And why not take that gift tonight? In a moment when we sing, I'm going to have um, Jonathan and Deborah over here. I'm going to have Julia over here. They would love to pray with you. And just 
talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. If you're a believer, I hope this passage does for you what, what it's doing for me in calling me back to be captivated by the goodness of Jesus. <laughs> that I don't have to submit my resume every day to impress God. Like he's, he's given me his righteousness and forgiveness and grace and all the good things that come with that. So I'm going to ask you, whether that's like standing and singing or kneeling at your chair or coming down to the altar, I don't know what that is. What it, maybe it's going out back and crying. I don't know. Um, you don't have to go outside to cry. I'm sorry. I don't know I said that. Whatever it is, I want you to ask God to captivate your heart with the gospel. So much so that you can't help but want to tell others about him. All my hope is in Jesus. Thank God for grace. I'm going to pray for us. I'm just going to ask Corbin and uh, David just to kind of continue giving us a few moments of kind of stillness before we sing. And I want you to respond again as a Christian to pray and ask God, or maybe if you're not a believer, to, to come over to the sides where they're going to be and just say, I want to know more about Christ and how to become a Christian. And then in a moment, we'll sing together. So I'm going to pray, and then I want you to respond as God leads you. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for interrupting our story with hope, for giving our story a sudden turn, though we don't deserve it, giving our story a sudden turn to light. And so, Lord, I pray that if someone doesn't know you tonight, God, that they would turn to you. And Lord, as believers, that we would be captivated by the gospel. I'm going to give you a few moments just to respond and do as God leads you.